Is this the dagger? What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Legion of Sports podcast. I'm Harrison Klein. Unfortunately, Jake Anthony can't be here today, so it's just going to be me. Although I do have our first ever guest coming on later to help talk about one of our NFL games, so stay tuned for that. Um, I hope everyone's doing well, and uh, I guess I'll get right into it. So my top story of the week was a really big college football game between Coastal Carolina and BYU. Coastal Carolina came in ranked 18th. BYU came in ranked 13th in the country. Both teams seemingly pretty much out of the college football playoff or a chance to get in going into this game based on the conferences that they play in. And um, they both came in at 9-0. However, Coastal Carolina took this one 22-17. And I mean, first, I just want to talk about how impressive it was that this game got played really as, you know, before Tuesday of last week, no one really knew if this game was going to get played. It was originally supposed to be Coastal Carolina playing against Liberty University, who was another really good team. However, Liberty had a COVID issue where they had too many cases, and BYU did not have any games, so they, so BYU contacted them, said, we can play you if Liberty isn't able to. And then on Thursday, the game became official. And so, I mean, just really impressive. And I think that's something that we really want to see more of in college football and hopefully college basketball this year as more games get canceled. You know, can teams... Um, find a way to get those last second opponents. But I mean, yeah, a huge game between two non-Power 5 teams, both entering 9-0. and And this was the biggest win in Coastal Carolina's history. They took it 22-17. And so now they have a really good chance of getting into a New Year's Six Bowl as potentially being one of the non-Power 5 uh, schools to get in. It's most likely going to be them or Cincinnati. Cincinnati is currently ranked eighth in the country. And this is also a really big game for BYU's quarterback, Zach Wilson, who right now is a projected top 15 pick in the NFL draft. Uh, He had a solid game, 240 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But this was really good for him to go up against a really strong uh, pass rush of Coastal Carolina, where they they also have a few future NFL players on that defensive line. So to see him go and play against them, that's a big learning opportunity for him. But it also shows that he's able to get it done. And, you know, he almost did it. They had a a chance with that. I believe it was right under a minute left. They had the ball around their own 10 yard line. They had to drive and they got all the way to the one yard line, but a player got tackled as time expired and Coastal was able to take the game and improve to 10 and 0. So now really, as I said, improving their chances of getting a new year's six bowl. So now I'm going to move on to some big NFL stories this week before we get into the games. And I mean, this is probably one of the biggest stories in all of sports right now. Jalen Hurts, the rookie quarterback out of Oklahoma, who, if you can recall, transferred from Alabama, where was a second-round pick, is now starting over Carson Wentz. And, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, this is the right move. It's really hard to debate that Carson Wentz deserved to be the starting quarterback for the Eagles at this point after the brutal year that he's had. And they finally made the change in the third quarter of this past of, of the Eagles game this week against the Packers. And while they still lost... Wentz was, or sorry, Hertz was able to come in and really provide a spark for this offense, which is what I think uh, Doug Peterson said he wants the most. And he said that, I believe it was Sal Palantonio, he sent a text to that ESPN reporter and, and was basically like, we need a spark. The, this team, they're 3-9-1 right now, really struggling. 
and you know they needed a spark they needed someone to pick the offense up and while they didn't win they were able to be much much more successful scoring 13 points in the second half after just three in the first half so a great job by Hertz. he had 109 passing yards and a touchdown and also another one that was dropped by travis fulgham so he could have had two while carson Wentz only had 79 passing yards at that point in the game now they do play the saints this week so it's going to be a really tough first start the saints one of the best defenses in the NFL, one of the best teams in the NFL. So obviously it's not going to be easy, but I mean, there's there's really no argument that Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Eagles, had to do this. Wentz has been so bad this year. And I think if you're Peterson, you know, there's a lot of people in Philadelphia calling for his head. A lot of people want him out of this job. So I think this is also kind of a desperation move from him. The problem, so now I just want to talk about the problems that the Eagles are going to have with this now. Because, so you draft Cars- you draft Jalen Hurts in the second round, and so now you, there's a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz, and he clearly felt that, was not as confident this year. And I think he kind of admitted it. He, he really hasn't been the same player all year. But now they have a big issue with Carson Wentz's contract. So Carson Wentz, he signed a four-year, $128 million extension, I, I believe, before last season. That has not even kicked in yet. If they cut him after this year, they would own $60 million, or there would be nearly $60 million in dead cap space, which is a massive amount. I mean... That, that handicaps your team. You're really not going to be able to put a good product on the field. So that really is not an option. They could get out of the final three years of his... Or they could get out of the final three years, $81 million of the deal if they cut him after the 2021 season, but they would still have $24 million in dead cap. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of scenarios that we have to run through, and, and I'll talk about those in a second. But, I mean, the the biggest point is they're really hamstrung with this Carson Wentz contract. And, you know, maybe it's a good thing that Jalen Hurts... Or I mean, if he comes in, plays well, they believe he's a franchise quarterback. That's obviously a good situation. But now you you really have a big problem with this Carson Wentz contract. So let's say Jalen Hurts plays well. He's going to be the starter going into next season. You know, they let's say they win two of their final four games. They play the Saints. They play the Cardinals, Cowboys, and the Washington Football Team. And I don't really see them winning this week against the Saints. I could see Hurts giving them a big spark, but I think the Saints are just too good of a team. But then they play the Cardinals, the Cowboys, and Washington, and. The way that the Cardinals are playing that we're going to talk about later, that is a very winnable game. The Cowboys, obviously very winnable. They've been one of the worst teams in the league this year. And then Washington, who we'll also talk about in a second. You know, they're playing really well right now. So there's definitely a chance they can win two of those games. And, you know, if Hurts plays well, he could definitely be the starter going into next season. And the Eagles are going to have to make a decision on Carson Wentz. Do they want him as the most expensive backup maybe in league history, getting paid over $25, $30 million a year? Do they want to trade him? I mean... You obviously would like to trade him, but you're really not going to get much value for a four-year, $128 million deal for a guy that looks broken. He hasn't been the same player since he tore his ACL in 2017. Now, here's the scenarios if Jalen Hurts plays bad. I mean, there's three options that I laid out that are obvious in my mind. The thing is, I don't really know what you do. So let's say Jalen Hurts plays bad the next two games, and you're like, okay, Jalen Hurts is not the guy. Let's just go back to Carson Wentz. I don't see that happening. But I could see Carson Wentz becoming the starter once again this season if Hurts really is really that bad these next two games. And then we'll have to see what happens in the offseason. So if he does play bad, let's say he plays all four games. They go into the offseason without a clear starter, and you have Hurts and Wentz battle out in the preseason next year. I don't think that's the best option. I think that they would look for some outside options, which leads us to the third option where if Hurts plays really bad and they end up losing all four games, or even they 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 only win one of the next four games, 
they're probably going to have a top five to seven pick, which gives you a pretty good shot at getting most likely the number three quarterback in the draft. You're going to have Trevor Lawrence go one, most likely to the Jets. Justin Fields most likely going number two to the Jaguars. And then after that, you have the likes of Zach Wilson, maybe a Mac Jones, a Kyle Trask, someone of that nature. You know, you can get the the third best quarterback in the draft. And if you think he's the future, I could definitely see the Eagles doing that, especially if they fire Doug Peterson and bring in a new head coach. But I mean, I think that the, the biggest thing about all this is the Eagles are going to have a lot to think about this offseason. These next four games are huge for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. And I think that what the Eagles want, I think that they, they want Jalen Hurts to play well so that they don't have to deal with potentially bringing in another quarterback in the offseason and only have to deal with what to do about Carson Wentz's contract situation. Because if if Jalen Hurts plays bad, you you know, he's not the guy. He's probably career backup at that point. Then you have Carson Wentz, who has looked horrendous this year, and you just have massive issues. So I think that they definitely want Jalen Hurts to play well. We're going to have to see. Big game against the Saints. I don't think you can judge it based off this Saints game only, as I as, for the reasons I outlined, where Jalen Hurts just isn't – or sorry, the Saints defense is phenomenal. But then you have Cardinals, Cowboys, Washington, which are three games that you, are going to be really exciting. And, you know, hopefully he can prove his worth. So now we're going to move on to another very, or not very important, but pretty notable firing in the NFL. The Jets uh, defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, of the now 0-12 Jets after his debacle play call to end their game against the Raiders this week. He has been fired. The Jets defense this year has been horrendous. They rank 30th in points allowed, 29th in yards allowed on defense. Uh, and I mean, the final straw, as I just mentioned, he called an all-out blitz with 10 seconds left with the Raiders needing over 40 yards and a touchdown to, to win the game. The Jets were in position to finally win their first game of the season, moved to 1-11, and he blew it. And so the Raiders, they ended up throwing a game-winning touchdown pass on the play, giving the Jets their 12th straight loss to start the season to fall to 0-12. And, you know, he's known for being a very aggressive play caller with his blitz packages, but this ESPN put out this stat, and I'm just going to read it to you, so bear with me. It's a little complicated, but this is going to show how ridiculous that play call is. So in the last 15 seasons since... This kind of stuff has been tracked. There have been 252 pass plays with the following criteria. In the final 15 seconds of the game, the team with the ball is down 4 to 8 points and they need over 40 yards for a touchdown. They were the first defense out of all 252 defenses to send over 6 pass rushers in the situation. So basically what they did, they they sent everyone. They also had a QB spy, which didn't really make sense. They had a linebacker basically sitting there in case Derek Carr ran, which doesn't make sense. And then you left all the receivers one-on-one, and you leave Henry Ruggs, who ran a 4-2-7 40-yard dash at this year's NFL Combine, just blow right past an undrafted rookie in Lamar Jackson, not the Ravens, but the Jets cornerback Lamar Jackson, for a wide-open touchdown with four seconds left to win it. And the Jets fall to 0-12, and Greg Williams is fired on Monday. Now, he may be a little relieved. He won't be the first defensive coordinator to ever have two 0-16 records. Remember, he was a defensive coordinator on the 2017 Browns team. But, I mean, overall, this is definitely the right move. I'm a little bit surprised he didn't last the whole season with Adam Gase, as I also expect Adam Gase to be fired after the season. But I do think this is definitely the right move for the Jets. And, uh, I mean, just a really crazy way to end his tenure with the Jets. And, honestly, I don't really know why anyone would hire this guy again. I mean, he was, as I said, he was with the Browns. They were 0-16. He's with the Jets, who were 0-12 now. I just don't really think this guy's a very good coach. He also had that bounty scandal with the Saints about 10 years ago. So a lot of controversy with him. And I mean, we'll see. He, he always claims that he has a lot of offers. We'll see if he actually gets another job, at least as a defensive coordinator after this. So now I'm going to move into some of the games from this week and the biggest upset of the season, the 11-0 Steelers, or should I say the previously 11-0 Steelers, now 11-1 Steelers, 
fall to the Washington football team, who were 4-7 and seven going into this game. They lose 23-17. to 17. And so I'll start with the Steelers' point of view. We've been saying all year that the Steelers are not as good as their record shows, and it really ended up showing this week. Uh, I mean, they really haven't had many impressive wins this season. Their, their most impressive win did come against the Titans, I believe it was, back uh, about week six or seven. But, I mean, I'm going to run through their, their, their schedule this season. They beat the Giants, who are playing well, but they started out one and seven. So at the time, we're not good. We're not good. That was in week one. They beat the Broncos in week two by five. Not really impressive. They beat the Texans back in week three. Not impressive. They beat the Eagles back in week four. Not impressive. They did smoke the Browns 38 to seven. That's impressive, but I, I think the Browns were still trying to find their footing at the time. Then, as I mentioned, they beat the Titans. But in that game, they did kind of get bailed out by the refs, and the Titans missed a few clutch kicks that really should have been made that gave the Steelers a victory. Then they beat the Ravens the week after that, and also that was kind of the refs making some favorable calls to the Steelers. But, I mean, I will give them credit. Those are two very solid wins. I think the Ravens are still a good team. Then they barely squeaked by the Cowboys to win by five, who, have, as I mentioned earlier, have been one of the worst teams in the league. They smoked the Bengals, who have been terrible. They smoked the Jaguars, who have won win. They beat the Ravens, who were missing pretty much half their players, including former MVP Lamar Jackson. They beat them by five, and then they lose to Washington this week. So I think this is kind of what we saw coming. And... You know, the Patriots are the only team in NFL history to go 16-0 and in the regular season. So I, I actually did some research and I pulled up the stat about how dominant that Patriots team was relative to the Steelers team and to show why there really wasn't much of a difference. The Patriots' average margin of victory was 19.6 points in, in 2007 when they went 16-0. That means they were beating teams by almost 20 points per game. The Steelers were only beating opponents by 10 points per game, which is very impressive but not at the dominant level you would expect out of an 11-0 team or a team that could go 16-0. And the big reason for that is their offense just is not that good. Their running game has really become an issue, especially the last few weeks. Only 21 yards on Monday night against the Washington football team and only 68 yards the game before. And their offense also had a, re- had, had a big issue with drops, seven drops from their wide receivers. That was the most in any NFL game since 2017. And I think another big issue for this team Big Ben is throwing, Ben Roethlisberger is throwing the ball way too much. He had 53 pass attempts in this game, which is just not the right formula for the Steelers to win games, in my opinion. Big Ben is no longer the elite quarterback he was. I think he's still around the top 10 to 15 quarterbacks in the NFL, but he does not, he's not able to move as well. He's not able to throw as well as he used to. There's there's a reason that he gets the ball out as the fastest out of his hands in the NFL today. And he's thrown over 45 passes in each of his last four games. I think that is not the formula they need to win. The Steelers need to get down to running the football a lot more. They're going to get James Conner back next week against the Bills, which should be a very exciting game. I do expect the Steelers to come out better from this. I think Tomlin, Mike Tomlin, who's their head coach, kind of seemed relieved when they lost, You know, saying that they, they kind of had to get this out of their system. Now they don't have that pressure of going 16-0. It's not going to get talked about. So I still think they're a very good team. They're definitely top five in the NFL. But I think in terms of the AFC and, and overall in the NFL, I think that the Bills are the third best team in the AFC. I think the Steelers are a lot closer to the Bills level than they are to the Chiefs level. And I really think that the Chiefs are definitely a step or two ahead of the Steelers team, as we've been saying all year. Now for the Washington football team point of view, what a massive win this was for this team. I mean, especially after the Giants go into Seattle, which we will talk about in a second, and they beat them this week. That They came in knowing they pretty much had to beat the Steelers to, to remain with the Giants. I mean, the Giants do have the tiebreaker. They're in a virtual tie right now. They're both 5-7, and seven, but this is a massive win. And this defense, what, what Jake and I have been talking about all year, 
or at least the past few weeks as the football team has started to play better, their defense is what makes this team go. They played great. They held the Steelers offense, who I just mentioned aren't great. They held them to only 17 points. That's how you win. And then Alex Smith, I mean, there's just not much you can say about what he has done in his comeback after that devastating injury, knee injury he had just over two years ago. They were down 14 points at one point in this game, and then they outscored the Steelers by 20 in the second half, albeit without Antonio Gibson, who their star rookie running back, uh, came out after the first play of the game with a turf toe injury, I believe they said. So they overcame that to win. And then Logan Thomas, I want to give a lot of credit to him, quietly has had a really good season at the tight end position. He had a massive game this week, was one of the big reasons they were able to come back and win this game. Nine catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. He played great. And I just, I really, I really think this Washington football team, if they are able to get into the playoffs, they have a very solid chance to win a game. I mean, right now, I believe they'd be playing the Seahawks if they were able to overtake the Giants for that four spot. We'll see who their opponent would be. But, I mean, they just show that they can beat the Steelers. And going into Pittsburgh and beating the Steelers, they have a good enough defense. They have a very good defense. They have a tremendous defensive line that's able to get after the quarterback and force turnovers. And they have a good enough quarterback in Alex Smith that knows how to win big games. And that is how you win in the playoffs. You play, you win the playoffs with good defense and good quarterback play. And that is how they can win. And, I mean, I'm... I don't know how hot they will be going into the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see what the record would be if they get in. I think that they have a chance to get to seven and eight, win- seven or eight wins. But I mean, they're not going to be an easy out in the playoffs the way that we thought the NFC East was going to be earlier on in the season. So now we're going to move on to another NFC East upset. This one, the New York football giants over the Seattle Seahawks, 70 to 12. But this time we actually have our first ever guest on the Legion of Sports podcast. My younger brother, Jack Klein, is here. He is a very big Giants fan, so I thought it'd be nice to get his opinion on this matchup and the team. So, Jack, first of all, welcome to the Legion of Sports. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, first of all, massive win for the Giants and for Joe Judge. I mean, just what, what are your thoughts about this team just so far and how far they've come this season? I just think everything they've done leading up to this week has been so exciting. You can see every week they've gotten better and their coaching staff has just done a great job. Specifically, Joe Judge and Patrick Graham. Um, I don't think as much Jason Garrett, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of credit goes to Joe Judge. And I mean, I think that the biggest thing is this is a massive statement victory. Joe Judge, I mean, this team started out 1-7 and seven this year. They were 0-5 at one point. They've won four in a row to move to 5-7. and seven. And taking down the Seahawks, who have been one of the best teams in the NFC this year. And I mean, I think the biggest reason why is the defense, and especially Leonard Williams. Yeah, he was phenomenal. He... He was just a beast. He's been so good all year, and I just hope they can re-sign him this upcoming offseason. Yeah, that'll definitely be a big topic of discussion um, over the offseason. But yeah, Williams, two and a half sacks in this one. The team overall had five. They held this Seahawks offense to just 10 points in this one, and this was an offense we were talking about that was right up there with the Chiefs at least one point earlier on in the season. But I mean, you mentioned it. Patrick Graham has done a phenomenal job. They're ninth in points allowed, 10th in yards allowed. Uh, I mean, are you seeing any adjustments or just any any players stepping up that you really didn't think that they would have at this point in the season? I think his scheme has allowed for a bunch of players to step up. Their top three outside linebackers have been hurt, and two of them, two of the guys that have stepped up are seventh rounders in Tay Crowder and Carter Coughlin, and they've both played exceptional. Yeah, and it's just fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're they're just a really fun team to watch. They're you, they're underdogs, but at this point, they might not really be too too big underdogs anymore. And I mean, a reason why, you know, they obviously didn't have Daniel Jones in this game. They had uh, Colt McCoy, who you know, journeyman quarterback, had to start in place of Daniel Jones because 
of a hamstring injury, but Wayne Gallman has, has also been a revelation. He had 135 rushing yards this week, leading the NFL in that. I mean, it's pretty amazing what he's been able to do since Saquon Barkley's injury earlier on in the season. Yeah, he's he's starting to live up to the hype when they drafted him a couple of year, a few years back, and he just hasn't been useful at all since Saquon. And it's shown that maybe they should have been using him more with Saquon as they're they're a little bit different. When Gallman likes to run just forward and through the the middle, and Saquon runs the outside and tries to make plays. Yeah, Gallman probably more of a power back, I guess you could say. But, I mean, so the good thing is Daniel Jones looks like he will be coming back this week against the Cardinals. You get Daniel Jones back against this um, against the Cardinals. You get him back the rest of the season, hopefully as long as he's able to stay healthy. They're sitting 5-7 and seven right now. They're in first place, tied with the Washington football team that we just talked about. I mean, you, let's say the Giants do make the playoffs. I, I personally think they have a shot to win a playoff game. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I do too. I think their defense, with a weak NFC, I think their defense is capable of stopping anyone I think the Saints and Packers might be very tough matchups but in the first round you see maybe the Seahawks Cardinals I think they can stop them I think the Seahawks will be tough I think the Cardinals Rams any of those wildcard teams they do have a chance against yeah it's really interesting because I think right now they are scheduled if the season ended today they would face the Seahawks in the first round of the playoffs and I mean as good as the Giants played this week I don't really know if I see the Seahawks getting stopped like that once again, especially with Russell Wilson. I think he'll be able to pick it up and figure it out. But, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we're learning from this Giants team and especially from this victory is Joe Judge is a very good coach. He's here to stay. And whether the Giants make the playoffs this year, even if they win a playoff game, this team's going to be very good for, you know, at least the next few years with Joe Judge, with this defense, you know, Patrick Graham, and a lot of these young players. And, I mean, they're doing this without Saquon Barkley, as you mentioned. So it's just really impressive and I think you got to be happy as a Giants fan with the direction this team is going. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, that's all. I'll, I'll talk about the Seahawks in a second, but Jack, thank you for coming on talking about the Giants, and uh, we'll see if you, we can get you back on the pod soon. Yeah, you're welcome. So now to talk about the Seahawks side of this, I mean, I think the biggest question is what has happened to Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense? I mentioned it when I was talking to Jack. The Seahawks offense was one of the best in the NFL for a very long time this season, and then I think it was around week six when they faced the Cardinals. They went to overtime. Wilson had three touchdowns. He had over three, 400 passing yards, but he had three interceptions. And really since that game, it has not been the same. They got destroyed by the Bills where he didn't play well. And this game, he just looked really flustered in the pocket. And, you know, the thing about Russell Wilson, he's so great. He has such great pocket presence, and he knows how to avoid sacks. But I mentioned the Giants had five sacks against him. That's very unlike Russell Wilson in his ability to maneuver around the pocket. He looked really flustered. Only 263 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. I mean, this is just a brutal loss for a Seahawks team that was 8-3 and three coming into this, and the Giants were 4-7 and seven coming into this. I mean, and the Giants also had a backup quarterback, and you only put up 12 points and 10 on offense. They got two from a safety. I mean, it's at this point, the way that we've seen the Seahawks play the last number of weeks, it's hard to envision them going deep in the playoffs anymore. The thing is, though, they still have Russell Wilson. They still have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Chris Carson is only going to get better as he gets healthy again. He had 65 rushing yards this week, but I only see that going up as he starts to get healthy, as he missed a few weeks with that foot injury. So, I mean, I think that if the playoffs were to start right now, I wouldn't have much faith in the Seahawks, but I'm not going to say I don't have faith in them outright. You know, I think that they still have four games left. They can still figure this out on offense. It won't be easy. But, I mean, I don't really know what the issue is. Russell Wilson just needs to play better. And we know how good Russell Wilson can play and, and has played, especially early on this year. I mean, 
Jake and I, I think we both said Russell Wilson was our MVP favorite, I believe, seven weeks into the season. It's only been five or six weeks later, and a lot has changed. But, I mean, we know the level he can play at. He's still a top four or five quarterback at worst in the NFL today. And, you know, I have faith in him to get better, but it's got to happen soon. And, I mean, this matchup against the Giants just did not help them a lot. Now they're in second place in the division. And the Rams, who we're going to talk about next, are now in first place. So it's going to be tough, but... You know, I, I still do have faith in the Seahawks team, and they're going to have to get it right soon before the playoffs. They play the Jets next week, and I mean, I feel like that's a perfect get-right game, especially uh, with the Jets just losing their defensive coordinator. So now we're going to move on to the NFC, another NFC West matchup, the Cardinals and the Rams this week. This is one of the games I was really looking forward to this past week, and I mean, it wasn't a great game. I think that the Cardinals pretty much had this one in hand most of the time. They win it 38-28, to 28, and... I think the biggest takeaway I have from this is the Rams may may be the third best team in the NFC right now, and I truly believe that they have as good of a shot as any of those teams to make it to the Super Bowl. The offense, when it's going right, is as good as any in the NFL, or at least top five, and their defense is a top five defense in the NFL with Jalen Ramsey, with those other great corners, with a solid linebacking core, and with a dominant defensive line headlined by Aaron Donald. And going into this week, we talked about how we needed to see Jared Goff bounce back in a huge way after a really rough 49ers game, and he did just that. He had 351 passing yards, only one passing touchdown, while they did have three rushing touchdowns on the ground, but he had a 104 passer rating, which is very solid. He played a very strong game, and I think that's what we really needed to see out of him. Jared Goff has had a lot of iffy performances this year, but he's really found a way to bounce back in a lot of them. If they're able to really get a consistent passing attack from Jared Goff with this strong rushing attack, I think that that is what's going to make this team really dangerous. They had 119 rushing yards, which was massive for this team, and rookie Cam Akers really had his biggest game as a pro as he was the main ball carrier in this one. 21 carries, 72 yards, he had a touchdown. Henderson also had a touchdown in this one. So I think this team is really starting to find its stride And you got to give all the credit in the world to this defense. Kyler Murray looked absolutely lost in this one, which I will talk about when we get to the Cardinals section of this, as they forced him to have two turnovers, including a really bad pick six where Kyler just did not see it. And also Jalen Ramsey, who who talks a big game, but he also walks the walk in that. He was tremendous. He limited DeAndre Hopkins, who is a consensus top three or four receiver in the NFL. He only had 52 receiving yards in this one. And really, this is what we needed to see out of, out of Sean McVay and the Rams. I, I said, which of these teams and which of these young coaches can get their team to come back from a bad loss and really prove us that they are a good team? And it was Sean McVay and the Rams in convincing fashion. They did a great job. And after the Seahawks loss, they're now back in first place in the division. And they're looking really strong right now. And I'm excited to see how they can bounce back against the Patriots this week, who have been playing really well after a blowout win. Over the Chargers this week, they play Thursday night, so you guys will know the result of that by the time this podcast comes out. I'm recording this on Wednesday, so that's a big game for the Rams if they can again win that one and improve to nine and four. So now I'll talk about the Cardinals, and this team is really just starting to spiral, and, and it's it really sucks to see they were five and two after week eight, and all of a sudden they've lost four of their last five games and they now find themselves sitting outside the playoff picture with a six and six record as the Vikings now jump back in to that seventh seed. And if you can recall, their only win in their last five games was the Hail Mary to that, to DeAndre Hopkins from Kyler Murray as time expired. So, I mean, there's a very good chance that this team could be five and seven right now if they don't get that Hail Mary miracle play. And I'll talk about Kyler Murray. And I mentioned it earlier. He 
just was really bad once again. And he just hasn't been the same player these last few weeks. He only had 178 passing yards in this one. He also fumbled the ball. He had an interception that, as I mentioned, was returned for a touchdown and only 15 rushing yards. He now is under 200 passing yards in back-to-back games now. He's under 250 passing yards in three of the last four games. And you know who they play next? They play the New York football Giants, who just absolutely shut down the Seahawks, as we just mentioned, and Russell Wilson in that one. So do we really trust that Kyler can come back and have a strong game against this Giants team that their defense has been one of the best in the NFL the last number of weeks. And I think this is this is a big final four games for Cliff Kingsbury and you know his his job security with the Cardinals. I don't think many people are talking about it, but you know, if this team kind of spirals out of control and maybe finishes eight and eight or even under five hundred, I think there's a very real shot that Cliff Kingsbury gets fired. I think that he has a four, he has a great quarterback. He has a very good offense with great weapons and a and you know, they have a very solid defense that is up and coming, but this team is just not playing to that level right now. And Cliff Kingsbury was hired as an offensive genius, basically to run this offense around Kyler Murray and build it. And it just hasn't been working. And, you know, obviously the Giants are a tough matchup. He's got to figure it out quick and he's got to do it against the Giants. They have the Giants this week, then the Eagles, then the Niners, and then the Rams. I think, you know, the Giants, it's not an automatic win anymore. I think that there's a real shot they lose that game. Then they have the Eagles, which should be a win. They have the 49ers, which also should be a win, although they've been kind of frisky the way they've been playing lately. And then they have the Rams week 17. And, you know, there's a very real shot that they only win two of those games or even less. I think there's a very real shot that head coach Cliff Kingsbury does not have a job with this Cardinals team at the end of the year. I don't know if they would pull that trigger and fire him after only two seasons, but I think there's a shot that, you know, he might not last with this team if the offense continues to struggle like this just because of who he is as an offensive genius and the reputation he has and the reason that they brought him in here. So our final game that uh, I'm going to talk about is Browns versus Titans this week. And this was the kind of Browns victory that we needed to see. They won 45-35, but this really was not as close as the score indicates. The Browns were up 38-7 to at halftime in this one. But I mean, as I mentioned, this was a statement victory that we needed to see from the Browns, and they finally got it. They did everything right on offense. Baker was as good as he's ever been, maybe the best game of his career, certainly the best first half of his career. The rushing attack was strong, and the defense played great. Baker Mayfield, 334 passing yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 25 of 33 passes were completed, and he had a 147 passer rating. And if you can and remember, the highest pass rating you can have is 158.3. So he nearly got that. The rushing attack was great with Chubb and Kareem Hunt, 118 rushing yards from them. And the defense forced three turnovers. Now, the only hesitation I do have from this victory that, that moved the Browns to 9-3 and three is um, the Titans' defense is not very good. And, you know, they have played better lately. And I think we gave them some credit for that last week against the Colts where they kind of shut them down. But this team has no pass rush. Jadavion Clowney, I believe, is now out for the year. He got surgery. So they have very little pass rush. And it's just hard to take away. It is hard to take away how good Baker looked this week because he was so dominant. But I do think that you can't just say, okay, all their problems are solved. They, you know, they got to face some tougher opponents for me to be able to say, okay, this team is really, really legit. They have the Ravens this week. Then they have the Giants defense, who we've been talking about, is very good. That game actually just got flexed to Sunday night football in week uh, 15. Yeah, that's going to be, I mean, that's just crazy that the Browns and the Giants have been flexed to Sunday night football over the Cowboys and Niners. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, I think these are some big games coming out for ba- the three of the next four defenses that Baker Mayfield and the Browns face are legit. The Ravens, the Giants, and the Steelers. They play the Jets week 16. That, as I said, is not a good defense. But, you know, I think that the key to this 
And you got to give a lot of credit to head coach Kevin Stefanski. This play-action passing attack that they have is absolutely lethal, probably the best in the NFL today. And the thing is, Baker Mayfield is not a very good pocket passer. You know, he has very sloppy footwork. He, he kind of faces his feet forward when he throws the ball, not as accurate. But when you're able to get Baker out of the pocket, moving to his right or his left, that's when he's most accurate and when he's most dangerous. And when you have this dominant of a rushing attack with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, where the, the linebackers keep coming up to the line to try and stop that, if you have a play-action pl- uh, play and you just have players run past the linebackers, you're going to get passes completed. And that is what this team did against the Titans. And I expect them to keep doing that more and more. So a lot of credit goes to Kevin Stefanski for bringing this team to be at that level. They're 9-3 and three now. And I think Kevin Stefanski is also a head coach or a coach of the year candidate. I mean, he has brought the Browns. The, this is the Browns' first winning season since, I think, 2007. They're trying to make the playoffs for the first time since 2004. I mean, they really, they have a very good shot at making the playoffs now. Almost 99%, I believe, the odds are. So a lot of credit to Stefanski. This is a massive win for this team. And now the Titans, I mean, last week we were talking about, the way that we're talking about, I'm talking about the Browns right now, is how Jake and I were talking about the Titans last week. A dominant victory against the Colts, but pretty much everything the Titans did to the Colts last week, the Browns did to the Titans this week. The offense was awful in the first half from Tennessee, as I mentioned, only scoring seven points. Derrick Henry was just not himself today. He had, I believe it was only six, yeah, 60 yards rushing on 15 carries, so four yards per carry. Wasn't able to break any big ones for the most part. He also had a fumble, which is very uncharacteristic of him. And, you know, now three of the next four games for the Titans are very winnable. They're still in first place in the division, but they got straight up outplayed uh, this week. They, they're in first, as I mentioned. They have the tiebreaker over the Colts right now. They have the Jags, Lions, Packers, and Titans coming up. I think... I, with the way that the Colts are playing and how good the Colts are, I think that they have to win at least two of those and probably have to win three of those. The Jags this week should be a win. The Lions next week should be a win. The Packers, Sunday Night Football, that's going to be a really tough game for them. I think that they could win that, but that's going to be a big test. If they can beat that Packers team and match them up, I mean, that's going to be an incredibly high-scoring game because two of the worst defenses in the league in the Titans and the Packers with two of the best offenses in the Titans and the Packers. That's going to be a lot of points. And then the Texans week 17. So, you know, a lot of big games coming up for the Titans. I'm not too worried about them, but I do think that they're going to have to really set themselves straight because, you know, they're in this thing with the Colts. They're tied right now in terms of record. They have the lead in the division, but they're going to have to keep winning for for a shot to get into the playoffs right now. So now to finish up our NFL talk for the week, I will do my power rankings. Power rankings, me and Jake did um, our top five, I think it was three or four weeks ago, and there definitely has been some movement. So I will give my top five updated as of this week. So number five, I have the Buffalo Bills, nine and three, coming off of a very good win against the 49ers team who were really hot lately, as I mentioned, beating the Rams last week, which is was a big win, but and the 49ers needed this one, but the Bills came in, did a great job. And the main reason that they're nine and three Josh Allen has been phenomenal this season, and I said earlier in the year, I think I thought that he would be top three in the MVP race. I think he kind of fell out of that, but I think right now, he's right back in the thick of it with Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. I think that Mahomes and Rodgers are definitely a little bit ahead of him, but I think that he's solid in the number three spot in the MVP race. He's been great all year, and then another big reason they've been playing well lately, and I think they will continue to play well, that defense of theirs. This defense is what carried them to the playoffs last year. Allen was pretty good last year, not at the level he was this year, but their defense was phenomenal. They were so-so. They were kind of iffy to start the season about halfway through, but the last three or four weeks, they've really done a great job. They've picked it up, and it's a big reason they've been playing well lately, and you know they played the Steelers this week. That's going to be a big, ta- a big challenge for this entire team, 
And, you know, I think that they're going to have a very good shot to knock them off this Sunday night. At number four, speaking of the Steelers, I have them there. They are 11-1 and coming off of their first loss to the football team this week. This loss hurts them, but I still think they're a very good football team. I think that they're a great football team. They have the best defense in the NFL, although losing Bud Dupree, one of their edge defenders for the season due to a torn ACL, will hurt them a lot. I think that their offense is going to have to improve a lot. I think that getting James Conner back is going to help this team out a lot because that is going to help their running game. And that's pretty much the identity of a Steelers team. Great defense, physical, good run game, and then you know Big Ben makes the plays when he has to. I think that Big Ben is, as I mentioned earlier, is throwing the ball a lot or way too much right now. They're going to get Connor back. They're going to be able to run the football more. And you know this week, as I just mentioned, Steelers Bills it's going to be a big test for both of those teams. Number three, I have the New Orleans Saints at ten and two. They've been on fire lately, even with Taysom Hill at quarterback replacing Drew Brees, who has eleven broken ribs. Taysom Hill has. They're three and zero since he started, and you know another reason, the defense. And uh, it was about week four or five when Jake and when me and Jake were talking about this, and we said, "What is wrong with the Saints' defense? They haven't been as good as they have in the last few years." And you know they've started to figure it out. The last five or six weeks, they've been phenomenal. One of the best defensive units in the NFL. And you know if Drew Brees, if he comes back, he's healthy. Michael Thomas, he's now healthy. You have Kamara. I think this is the, the the favorite to come out of the NFC. I, I do. The reason I didn't want to put him at number two is because of how well that team at number two has been playing and because the Saints don't have Drew Brees right now. But I think if Brees comes back, they will leapfrog and move to number two. And I think they're the favorites out of the NFC once their team is fully complete. As I said, if Brees is healthy. Number two, the Green Bay Packers. They sit at nine and three, but Aaron Rodgers has been phenomenal this year. And I think right now it's him and Patrick Mahomes they're 1A and 1B in the MVP conversation. I, I think right now it's Mahomes, but if you told me you think it's Aaron Rodgers, I would have a very hard time arguing with it. He's been phenomenal all year. They have the second best offense in the NFL this season behind the Kansas City Chiefs. And I mean, they're dominant every game. They have Rodgers. They have Devontae Adams, who's honestly right now might be the best receiver in the NFL. He scored a touchdown in, I think, 10 straight games. He's been ridiculous. And the rushing attack, you have Aaron Jones, who is phenomenal. You have Jamal Adams, who's one of the best backups in the league. Great pass catcher, can also do it all. The defense is definitely a worry of mine, but you have a solid defensive line in Preston Smith and um, Zadarius Smith. They can both get after the quarterback. You need Preston Smith to be better than he has been, but I think he can get to that level. The linebackers do concern me, so if they face a strong running team in the playoffs, like the Vikings, who tore them up for, I think, over 200 rushing yards earlier in the season— that would be a concern, but I think that this offense honestly might outweigh how bad the defense is because this offense is just that good. And number one, no surprise here, Kansas City Chiefs. I've had them as my number one team all year, and they're going to stick here until they lose in the playoffs, if they lose in the playoffs. I mean, this. I'm not betting against the reigning Super Bowl champions. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes. This team is just that good. Their offense is unbelievable. I know. They didn't play great against the Broncos this week, but I think that they can get back to that level. And I think it's hard to judge interdivisional matchups because those teams know each other so well. They know how to stop them. Vic Fangio, also one of the best defensive coaches in the NFL. But I think that this Chiefs offense is that good and that they are the most dominant team in the NFL. And I think it is by a decent margin. I think that they are definitely the best team. And Patrick Mahomes, as I mentioned, he's the MVP in my eyes right now. I trust them the most. And I think this is an easy decision to have them number one in my power rankings. And I mean, we'll see how this goes on the rest of the season. They do play the, the Saints in, um, I believe it's not this week, but the next week after that, they play the Saints. That's going to be an exciting matchup. So I'll be looking forward to that. But, I mean, if the Chiefs finish 15-1, and one, it would not shock me at all this season. 
So I'm going to talk some college basketball. We had four very good games this week that I'm going to talk about. And the first one we're going to talk about is another stunner. We talked about Kentucky last week with that upset loss to Richmond. Well, they fell again this time, an even worse loss. They fell to Georgia Tech 79-62. to They lost by 17. Kentucky falling to 1-3 and for the first time under head coach John Calipari. The first time they're 1-3 and since 2000-2001, so 20 years and, I mean, the reason this loss was so bad, Georgia Tech came in in this game pre- winless with losses to Mercer. And Mercer, I've only heard of them because they beat Duke as a 14 or 15 seed. I think it was 2014 they did that, so six years ago. And Georgia State, so two, you know, not good teams beat Georgia Tech, and then Georgia Tech beat Kentucky. So not a good sign if you're Kentucky. And, I mean, the, this Kentucky team just is not scaring anyone. They're They're... They're just a very bad team right now. They're not playing well. And the re- the main reason is their offense. Their offense has not been good at all. They're ranked 231st in the country in offensive efficiency rating. And their turnover percentage is 25.4%. Which basically means that they have 25 turnovers for every 100 possessions. Or one turnover every four possessions. With it, which is terrible. 261st in the country. And we talked about last week how bad their three-point shooting has been. They didn't make a single three against Richmond. They're 243rd in the country in three-point percentage. So they have still not been able to figure out that. And I think another reason why that they have not been playing well is is the point guard. The, their point guard so far has been Devin Askew. He came in as a four-star uh, recruit. He's a freshman this season. Just hasn't been you know great. And he's averaging six points per game, two assists per game. 3.8 turnovers per game. So he's averaging almost double the amount of turnovers per game than assists per game as a point guard, which is not good. And 28 in 28 and a half minutes per game. So I think that's a really big issue. And John Calipari has to figure that out. He's had that issue before with some other teams. He's fi- And the way that he's gotten about it is just playing a non-traditional point guard or basically someone who plays shooting guard as their point guard. So I could see them going with someone like Brendan Boston to do that or senior Devin Mintz, who's been around the program for a while, just hasn't really gotten a shot. So I think those are two options at the point guard position because Devin Askew has really just not been it for this Kentucky team, and he's going to have to learn and develop. I think he can be a good player, but I think he has to learn and develop to become a good point guard at Kentucky and at the college level than he is right now. And, I mean, I think in the long term for Kentucky, they obviously have a lot of issues right now, especially on the offensive side of the ball, as I mentioned. And I don't really know where they go as a team. I mean, we talked about it last week. I don't think that their three-point shooting is just suddenly magically going to become a lot better. I think that that is going to continue to be an issue. So they're going to have to find other ways to score. They have some good players, but as a team right now, it's not really balanced in terms of you know fret, um, underclassmen, upperclassmen, in terms of forwards, guards, in terms of skill. So I think there's a lot of issues right now. And you know, we may end up seeing John Calipari's best coaching job if he's able to turn this around because right now it looks like they are not, you know, headed for the NCAA tournament. Right now they're playing like an NIT team. And obviously we're four games into the season. It's December 9th right now that we're recording this. So plenty of time to go. But right now from the from early signs, it has not been good for Kentucky basketball, which we are not used to seeing. Now to another game. So this was part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Illinois ranked, I believe, number eight in the country, took down Duke 83-68. to And, I mean, from the start, they were up 18-4 to at one point. They dominated this entire game. And this Illinois team is legit. They have a very real shot at making their first Final Four since 2005. So 15 years, they lost that. Uh, they lost in the title game that year to North Carolina. And one of the main reasons that this team is, you know, they have a very good shot at that is Ayo Desumu. He's maybe the best two-way player in college basketball in terms of 
being amazing on the offensive and defensive end. Against Duke, he put up 18 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, and for the season, he's averaging 22.6 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, and 6 assists per game. He is tremendous on both ends of the court, and he can definitely be the best player on a championship team. And, you know, a lot of these teams, these championship teams, what do they have? They have a tremendous guard, and Ayo Desumu is definitely that, and he's a reason that this team can go very far. Another reason is Kofi Coburn, the big seven-foot center that they have. He had 13 and eight, 13.8 rebounds against Duke. Here's what's scary about Kofi Coburn. I still don't really think he's a complete player in terms of his skill set. The reason that he's so dominant is because he's such a big presence inside. There's not many people that are as big and strong as him at that size, and he's able to just bully people in the paint. I think that once he's able to really develop you know, his footwork, his post-up skills, stuff like that, he's going to be a scary player. And I don't know if that's going to be this season or next season or whenever, but this guy is still raw and he is that dominant. And I mean, he, he's a great piece to go with Desumu. They run that pick and roll really as good as anyone. And then the supporting cast they have is phenomenal. Adam Miller, Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, three very good scoring options that they have that can shoot the three ball, but also drive to the layup. So, I mean, this, this team offensively is very complete. They have their star player in their, they have their star guard. They have their star center and they have the good supporting pieces around them. Now, they do lack a little bit of depth, which isn't a huge concern for me at this point, but we'll see later in the season if these players start to get tired, potentially, you know, what will happen or, got, you know, if someone goes down with an injury, we'll see how that goes. But before we move on to the Duke side of this, I want to talk about Brad Underwood, the head coach for Illinois. And, you know, he's a tremendous coach. I think that he's really going to rise to national prominence this season. And looking at his coaching career, his first three years as an NCAA basketball head coach, he was at Stephen F. Austin earlier in the 2010s. He made three NCAA tournaments in all three years he was coaching there. Oklahoma State called him up. He coached there, and in his one year there, he made the tournament. Then he w- came to Illinois. His first two seasons weren't very good, but he built a base. You know, He brought in Trent Frazier and some guys that bought in to the program. Then last year in year three, they were set to make the tournament. They were a top 25 team, played great down the stretch. Obviously, the tournament got canceled, weren't able to be in it. And now this year in year four, they're going to make the tournament and they're going to be one of the favorites to at least go to the final four, maybe even make the national championship at that point. So, you know, I really think Brad Underwood, Brad Underwood deserves a ton of credit. And I think he's going to take this team very far. And now to Duke. And I mean, this this will bring a big smile to my face as a North Carolina basketball fan. I've been one for my whole life. And, you know, I hate Duke pretty much as, as much as anyone but so I'm going to be unbiased here, but my unbiased opinions, I mean, they're going to seem a little biased just because of how much I'm going to rip on them. This is the worst Duke team I've seen in a long time. I, I've tried to convince myself that Dukes had bad teams, you know, when they had Zion and saying they were overrated and maybe they, I mean, obviously they couldn't win a championship with Zion. That, that was music to my ears, but I think this Duke team really is not good. The, the scoring on this team is just not very good. Matthew Hurt is their best scorer. He's, he's 6'11", 7 feet tall. Outside of him, there's no one that really scares you as a consistent scoring threat. Jalen Johnson, who was their top recruit this year, just outside the top 10 in terms of players in the freshman class, he really hasn't been that good since his first game against Coppin State when he had 19 points, 19 rebounds. He hasn't been as good since. They don't really have any other scoring threats outside Matthew Hurt, and I think that's a big issue for this Duke team. A lot of the times you see multiple guys that can score the rock, and that's going to hurt Coach K's team. Another big issue is that they don't really have a great defender on the inside like Duke normally does. You know, last year they had Vernon Carey, who's a big presence on the inside. The year before that, obviously, they had Zion Williamson, 
who averaged about two blocks a game, and no one wanted to go in the paint with him. And before that, they had Marvin Bagley, and the list goes on and on and on about these Duke guys that can just stand in the paint and dominate and, and make guards and big guys really not want to go in there, and that changes an offensive game plan. Teams are not scared to go in them. You know, you see Trent Frazier and all these guys in Illinois, Desumu, um, Miller, they're able to drive inside the paint and score easy layups because they don't have a rim protector, and that's a massive issue for this Duke team. And then you just look at their overall rankings in terms of efficiency. Their offensive efficiency rating is 187th, and on the defensive efficiency rating, they're 145th. So those are both very analytical numbers, and they show that Duke is just a middle-of-the-pack team in terms of that. Obviously, Duke is in the middle-of-the-pack team, but they're not a Duke basketball team that you expect to be top 5, top 10. This really is not that good of a team. I believe they're 2-2 two and two now after that loss, so really not looking good. And then here comes Coach K after the game last night. And th- this kind of angered me because this is what Coach K said. He said after the game that it's too dangerous to play college basketball right now due to the COVID situation in the country. And, you know, there's a different debate whether he's right or not. But I just think it's very coincidental that he suddenly says that after his team falls to one and three, literally 20 minutes after the game. And this is as bad as they've been in decades. And now he's saying that the season basically needs to stop. And only a few months ago, he was saying that the NCAA tournament had to happen this year. They couldn't miss another year. And now all of a sudden, he's changing his stance. And I know everything has changed in this country since um, in terms of COVID. It's gotten a lot worse. But, I mean, he, he's just changing his stance to try and protect his team. You know, I don't really I don't really care for that. I think that, I mean, what else would you expect from Coach K? I think that he'll do anything to protect his guys and protect his reputation at this point. Um, so that's my Duke rant. Um, so now we'll move on to, uh, one other game, Kansas versus Creighton. This was a thriller. Kansas came in at number five. Creighton came in at number eight and Kansas winning at 73 to 72 with a, a game winning three pointer from Jalen Wilson in the last 30 seconds. And this was a great win for this Kansas team. And we needed this offense to play better. We talked about it after last week where they, their offense just hasn't looked as good. And they showed up 45% from three-point range. That is phenomenal. And, you know, last week we asked for more guys to step up on the offense. And Jalen Wilson definitely did that. He had 23 points, and as I mentioned, had the game-winning three. They also got 14 points from David McCormick and 13 from Braun. And, I mean, another big key, Ochai Obaji, who is one of their best offensive players, didn't have any points in this game. And they still found a way to win this. That is massive for this team because it forced other guys to step up and score the basketball. That's one. And then two, I mean, just winning. Yeah, I mean, just winning without your best player scoring is great news for your team. And, you know, how dangerous are they going to be when he does score the normal 10, 15 points a game like he normally does? Now, I still don't think Kansas is as good as their ranking of number five in the country. But I do think that they're a lot better than I thought they were at this point when we recorded the podcast last week. I think they're a very good team. I think that they're only going to get better as, you know, they learn to come together and score more points as a team, you know. They've had Devon Dotson and Udoka Azubuki. Those were the two biggest scorers for the last two or three years. Now they need the next set of guys. And, you know, Marcus Garrett as well are all going to need to step up. And they've started to step up more. And I think that's going to get better as the season goes on. Now for Creighton. I mean, this is a crushing loss for number eight ranked Creighton. They really thought that, I mean, they had it. They were up by two. And then obviously Jalen Wilson hit the game winner. But this showed that, once again, they can compete with the big the big dogs in college basketball and that they're here to stay as, you know, maybe not a Villanova-level powerhouse in the Big East. Obviously, they're both in the Big East, but I think that they're they're right behind them. They're a very good team. They're going to be top 10, 15 ranked all season. And this is despite losing Tyshawn Alexander, who was one of their best players last year, probably their best player last year. He was a senior. He graduated. But, I mean, they still have a ton of experience. 
Their top four scorers are either juniors or seniors, and all five starters are either juniors or seniors. They have Marcus Zagorowski. He's kind of the heart and soul of this team, but they also have Christian Bishop, who has really taken a step forward the last year and a half since about the middle of last season. And he also had, he had 19 points against Kansas. They had four double-digit scores in the game against Kansas, which is a very good sign for this team. As, you know, they're not really known for their defense. This is the same thing last year. They were one of the best. I think they had the best uh, three-point percentage in the country. They were the best three-point shooting team. And, I mean, they're going to be right up there again this year. And so, I mean, I think that this is a good sign for this team. I think it's going to be them and Villanova once again right atop the um, Big East standings. And, you know, it's going to be really fun to watch this Creighton team, especially in March when, you know, they face some of these great offenses. They're just going to go shot for shot with them, and it's going to be really fun. The last college basketball game I have to talk about is North Carolina versus Iowa. Iowa was number three going into the game. North Carolina ranked number 16. Iowa winning it 93 to 80. And the biggest takeaway I have is this Iowa offense is ridiculous. And we talked last week about how good Gonzaga's offense is. Iowa's, I think, is the second best in the country. And it is ridiculous. They had 17 made three-pointers in this game, which was their most in, I think, two or three years. Luca Garza only had 16 points on 6 of 20 shooting, which for him is a bad game as he averages nearly 30 points per game. Also had 14 rebounds. But it didn't matter. They got 24 points from Jordan Bohannon, 21 from, from C.J. Frederick, and 19 from Joe Wieskamp. You get all these guys contributing. This offense is so dangerous. They just kick it inside to Garza, and a lot of the times teams double-team him. He'll just kick it out if, if he thinks he can't score, and then they'll get an open three from Bohannon, Frederick, or Wieskamp. This team has final four aspirations, and I think they have a very good shot at getting there with this explosive offense. And we mentioned... It's probably them and Gonzaga are two are two of the best offenses in the country, maybe the two best offenses in the country. They play each other in, I think, next Saturday, I want to say, maybe next Sunday. So that's going to be a really fun game. And that honestly might get into the hundreds for both teams. Those two offenses are explosive. Now the other side of this matchup is UNC. They fell to 3-2. and two, But, I mean, it, it's two solid loss. I mean, you don't want to say any loss is a good loss. But they lost to Texas on a buzzer beater, who's ranked 14th in the country. And they lost this to Iowa, who's ranked number three in the country. And the thing about this UNC team, they're not too experienced, especially at the guard spot with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. So this team is only going to get better and better as the season goes on. I mentioned R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. They've been solid, averaging just over 10, 11 points a game. But they're only going to get better. Garrison Brooks is one of the best centers in the country, probably top three or four in that position. He had 17 points. But they're still missing, you know, his second-hand man. And when you look at all these tremendous UNC teams, especially the one that nas- that won the national championship in 2017, you had a Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks as running mates in the front court. Now they have Garrison Brooks, and they're looking for Dayron Sharp, Armando Baycott, or Walker Kessler to be that second running mate. I think it's going to end up being Dayron Sharp, their freshman, who is ranked as a top 20 prospect in his freshman class. He's only going to get more consistent and better as a scorer. And I think those two down low are going to be a really good combination. The, the one worry I do have about this North Carolina team is their um, wing play. They don't really have a very good small forward or a number three. And, you know, I think Leaky Black is solid at the position, but he's not a very good three-point shooter. So that kind of limits his ability, and you kind of want a good three-point shooter at the small forward position. So we'll see if that ends up hurting them. But a lot of people think or a lot of people are hoping that this UNC team is also like last year's where they were 14 and 18. That's not the case. This team is much better already than that team. They have multiple star players or future star players, and I think this team is going to be very good come March, and they're going to scare some teams in the tournament. They, they may not win it all, but I think they have a very good shot at the Elite Eight and maybe even the Final Four. 
So now moving on to a pretty big story in college football. So the Ohio State-Michigan game for this Saturday was canceled due to too many COVID cases within the Michigan football program. And the reason that this is such a big deal is because before the season started, the Big Ten made a rule that you needed to play at least six games to get into the conference, to be eligible to be in the conference championship game. The problem is Ohio State has only played five games. They're 5-0 and and currently ranked fourth in the country in the college football playoff poll. And they needed this game against Michigan to get into the Big Ten championship game, or at least to have as many games to be eligible for it, which would, and they'd be 6-0, and assuming they would beat Michigan because of how bad they are, and they would be in the game. So I really think the Big Ten needs to revisit this and change the rule because they need Ohio State in the, co- in, in the conference championship, or at least find Ohio State someone to play. But the reason that they need Ohio State to get into the college football pl- or into the conference championship game, which would get them into the college football playoff, is because, I mean, overall, it's just good for the conference. Each conference gets, I think, $6 million um, if that's distributed to all the teams in the conference if one of the teams makes the college football playoff. So that's $500,000 for each uh, Big Ten football team, which, I mean, especially in COVID with how much money has been lost in terms of revenue for tickets and all that stuff because people aren't going to the games and everything, that would help all these teams a lot. I mean, that that is a, a lot of money, especially in the year 2020. And... I mean, the thing is, the Big Ten made this rule two months ago. So it's not like this has been a tradition where you need this many games to get into the, into the conference championship game. This rule was made two months ago because they already knew they would have a shortened season and that they would have games canceled. And the Big Ten also didn't start until mid-October because the Big Ten originally canceled the season and then they changed their mind. And so, I mean, Ohio State really hasn't had the chance to play too many more games than six because that was all they really had on the schedule. They've gotten unlucky with games canceled. But, I mean, it's not entirely their fault that the game that the um, season didn't start until mid-October. Um, and then also, it's not Ohio State's fault that Michigan has too many COVID cases and had to cancel the game. I mean, they, it's, they, they got screwed a little bit. And, I mean, there, I think there was one week where they had too many cases. But, I mean, overall, I just think it's a dumb rule. And if the Big Ten started earlier, like every other conference did, it, it, this wouldn't even be a factor right now. Now, I also mentioned Ohio State could find someone to play. A very logical opponent would be Texas A&M. Texas A&M is ranked number five in the country, right behind Ohio State at number four. And Texas A&M was scheduled to play Ole Miss this week, but Ole Miss had too many COVID cases, and that game was canceled. So why not just have Ohio State and Texas A&M play? I mean, I know it's Wednesday, and I mean, by Friday, you guys will know more about the situation and what happens, but if Coastal Carolina and BYU could do it, why can't Ohio State and Texas A&M? And I know these conferences have different COVID protocols, especially with Big Ten, how tight, tightly wound they have been with it and, and how, um, how, how many more protocols they pretty much have than the SEC. SEC is a lot more loose with it. Um, but, I mean, I just think that's such a logical matchup, and that would be so good for the game of college football. These networks would make money. These schools would make money. I mean, it, why not? These two conferences should work together to get this game to happen because that would be so good for college football. I mean, you have basically that would be a playing game for the playoff. If Texas A&M beats Ohio State, they're num- then you put them at number four in the country, they get into the playoff. And they deserve a shot because, I mean, I just think that they're a very good team. They have a great offense. They have a great defense. Um, Jimbo Fisher has done a tremendous job, and Kellen Mond deserves a shot. He's a senior. He deserves a shot to play a team like Ohio State and get himself into the playoffs. Now, there have been some rumors that the Big Ten is considering changing the rule to make it that a team only needs five games to get into the conference championship, which would allow Ohio State to be in the conference championship and then most likely win that game against a Northwestern team that isn't that great and then basically would get them get them into the college football playoff. And that's, that's the key. You want this team in the college football playoff for the reasons I outlined earlier, and that is why 
Ohio State either should play a game this weekend, the Big Ten should allow them to play someone, or at least change this rule. I mean, if they find a way to not get Ohio State into the – if Ohio State doesn't make the playoffs, that is on the Big Ten. That is not on Ohio State, and that would be a travesty to college football to keep a great powerhouse team like that out of the college football playoff. So finally, our, my final segment of the week, what am I looking forward to this week? It's Chiefs-Dolphins, and I never would have thought I would have said this probably about week two in the season when the Dolphins were 0-2, but now the Dolphins are 8-4. They have one of the best defenses in the league. They have maybe the best corners in the league. You have Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Howard has been the best corner in the NFL this season. He leads it, leads the league in interceptions. This is the Dolphins' biggest test. They finally have a chance to go up against the powerhouse in the NFL today in the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm, I'm expecting the Chiefs to win, but I mean... I think the Dolphins have a chance to keep this close. It's going to be really fun to see how this Dolphins defense and Brian Flores are able to do against Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and this dominant Chiefs offense. And, I mean, I think if the Dolphins can either win or even keep this close or potentially hold this Chiefs offense down, it's going to turn a lot of heads. And then I think people will start to think that the Dolphins can maybe make some noise in January come playoff time. I think another key is they're going to need Tua and this offense to be a lot better than it has been. They have not been very good. They only put up 19 points against a brutal Bengals defense last week. Tua has been fine, but he's going to have to step up and play his best game as a pro to give themselves any chance. This is a big test for the Dolphins, and I'm really excited to see them take it on and see where this team is headed for this year and for the future. And this game might show us a lot. So that's going to do it for Legion of Sports this week. Uh, Thank you guys all for listening. This was fun. Doing it by myself, but I'm excited to get Jake back next week and we can both share our opinions with you guys. Uh, Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll see you next week.